Amen. Everybody good? Excited? Worship was awesome, as always. Thankful for those folks. Um, so we are starting a new series this morning called Scandalous Grace. Um, before we jump in, I want to kind of give you a little definition of scandalous. This is what I found when I searched it, so I'm going to share this with you. I think it's fitting for what we're going to look at today. Um, so scandalous defined is causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. In fact, what we're going to see um, throughout the book of Acts, I've already seen even, um, is that this is a lot of what Christianity began to do, not because it was against morality or against law, but because people perceived it to be so. Um, another definition is disgracefully bad, typically as a result of someone's negligence or irresponsibility. And so scandalous, we hear that thrown around, we say that's scandalous, or we hear about a scandal, um, something that was done that shouldn't have been done. And this uh, series is gonna be about looking at how God's grace has been given to people who honestly, from our worldview, from our point of view, we probably would not have offered the same grace that God did to a lot of these people. Um, Grace being defined, um, many of you probably heard grace defined as unconditional love, unmerited favor. I wanna broaden that a little bit. It is God's unconditional love, it is unmerited favor, but it's his unconditional love and unmerited favor doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, doing in us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so this grace, this love and power of God that works for us, in us, and through us to do for us in us and through what we could not possibly do on our own. We're gonna be in the book of Acts. Last week, JC set it up uh, by going through Acts 7, talking about Stephen and a little bit about Philip. And JC talked about how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And we see uh, both Stephen and Philip, and, and they were not apostles, they were not uh, big time church leaders, um, but God used them. Uh, to do incredible things. And when we live sent, as JC talked about, God will use us the same way uh, to do incredible things for his kingdom. Um, now, going into Acts 8, this is coming off the heels of Stephen, uh, the servant of God who proclaimed the gospel because of his proclamation of the gospel. Uh, he was stoned to death by some of the uh, religious leaders, one of those being Saul, uh, who was approving of his death, as we're gonna see in a minute. This is Saul, who eventually became the apostle Paul um, and wrote uh, the majority of the books in the New Testament. And so we look at that and realize that God uh, used him to do incredible things, even though we just see where in Acts 7, he is a part of condoning um, this murder of Stephen um, as he, just for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so we're gonna read, uh, skipping around a little bit, we're not gonna read every verse in eight, but today I want us to look at three specific people or groups of people. The first one is the person of Saul, who later, as I said, became Paul. The second is the Samaritans as a whole, and the third is an Ethiopian eunuch. And I'll explain more about all of those as we go through this. But first, let's read this. Remember, um, this is coming off the heels of Stephen's persecution and stoning and death. And so, uh, Acts 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy 
the church. That word literally, it means to destroy or tear apart in a brutal um, and sadistic cruelty. Um, just a very strong word for the violence that Saul was bringing against the church. He says he was going from house to house, dragging off both men and women and putting them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so these were not the apostles. These were ordinary, everyday men and women going and proclaiming the gospel to people that they came in contact with as they were scattered because of this persecution. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. We're going to jump down to verse 14. Don't really have time to go into this man by the name of Simon the Sorcerer, although it's fascinating. I'd encourage you to go back and read about him on your own. Study that some. There's a lot in there too. We literally could have preached six weeks or so at least on Acts chapter eight, but um, we're gonna break this down as much as we can looking at these three this week. Um, it says in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard, so these are the apostles, these are the ones Jesus appointed as apostles, um, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem at this time. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So now jump down, we'll read about this Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch is, um, he is a man who had been castrated. Um, this man particularly, um, scholars tell us, was not born impotent as some eunuchs were seen that way. Um, he literally was castrated at some point in his life. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake. And in other words, it, the Kandake is, is not um, a person's name. It was a uh, official position, basically the queen of Ethiopia, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is a passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, so there's our background for the scripture today. Let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, thank you so much for your word and your truth, God. Lord, I am thankful for the grace you've extended to us, this grace you've extended to my life, Lord. So many times we look at our own lives and we don't see them really worthy of your grace. 
your love, God, but you extend it to us and you have called us to yourself. We thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus who made a way, the way, the truth, and the life for us to come into your presence, for us to be reconciled with you. Lord, I pray today that through the power of your spirit, if there's anyone here today whose eyes have not been opened to the reality of who Jesus is, the power of your grace and love and the work of your spirit that can take place in our hearts, Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to see that, Lord. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. Uh, (laughs) Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. Here's the heart. So no greater time, right? It's Christmas, so I can't help but show a little bit of Christmas Vacation, the greatest movie that has ever been put on film. And so wanted to share that with you. And, uh, you know, I watched that. And the, the honest truth is I can relate to that video in so many different ways. Um, for one, you know, just the whole dinner scene table thing, because um, we all have a cousin Eddie, right? Um, and you've heard me say this before, if you don't have a cousin Eddie, then you are cousin Eddie. And so um, you're to your family. And so you gather around the table, you've got all this stuff going on. You've kind of got that dysfunctional aspect of your family um, that's going on. Um, also, when Eddie turns and looks at Catherine and she's upset because she left the turkey in the oven so long as she's crying and Eddie looks at her and he's like, why are you crying? That's me, right? Why are you crying? Um, With Susan sometimes. And then uh, the biggest thing though that I want you to see in this is, uh, you know, this turkey that as Clark is getting ready to cut the turkey, he looks at Catherine and it looks so good. He looks at Catherine and he's like, if this tastes half as good as it looks, we are all in for a big treat. And then, right? That's just a little dry. It's, it's empty. There's nothing even left. Like literally cook the meat out of it, right? And, and I thought about this this week as we're looking at these three different people and a group of people, the Samaritans with Paul, the Samaritans and the eunuch. You know, in many ways, they were in a circle of people that in many ways they could feel okay about themselves. They, they could look at themselves and feel okay about even this eunuch who would had been so different from any of the men around him. Um, he had reached a status, had been given a status as the treasurer of, uh, the, of the queen of, um, of Ethiopia. He'd been given this status where even then, even in his state, he could have been looked at in that group of people as, hey, okay, right? And we have that tendency too. Paul, surrounded by his zealous Jewish friends, they would have looked at him and thought, what he's doing is a good thing, even applauded and cheered him on. We look at the Samaritans and, you know, before uh, Philip begins to preach the gospel, they've actually been kind of bewitched and they're following this sorcerer who's amazing them with magic and all these other things. But they're, they're in a group. And so we tend to have this um, 
way of gravitating towards people who will normalize our behavior. And so on the outside, many times we're able to feel better about ourselves because we find people who will kind of be an alibi to our conscience. But here's the challenge. Every, all of these three people are groups of people that we are looking at today. Each one of them on the inside is lacking something. That turkey, it looked great on the outside, but man, you begin to cut into it and get at the core of what it really is, and it was empty. And many of us, even people who come in and out of the doors of church every Sunday, we look good on the outside, but on the inside, we are empty. Many people who um, would call themselves Christians, and maybe they are Christians, but we live our lives very empty, lacking, and we're gonna to look today at how amazing God's grace really is, how scandalous God's grace really is. And the heart of this is for us today, for some of you who are followers of Jesus, that you leave here with a greater amazement. You realize that God's grace is truly amazing again. And you leave here with this understanding and this call of God calling you back to him, calling you to a time of refreshing. For some of you, today may be the day that the first day that your eyes are open to see one, your need for grace, but two, to see that God's grace is so scandalous to the world's eyes that God's grace is big enough to save even you. And that's challenging, because I know for me, I'm the toughest person for God to save in my mind, because I know me. And yet we're gonna see today that God's arm is not too short to save anyone that will call upon his name. So as we look at Paul, this is interesting that Paul is this zealous Jewish man. He sees Christianity as this huge threat to, to his religion, to his way of life. Paul as a Pharisee, as this Jewish leader in their religion is, is gaining status and power. He's achieving great things. You can go to Philippians three and read all about the things that he had achieved. And when we look at this, he's achieving all of this. And then there's this threat, Christianity. There's this threat, this name, Jesus, that he begins to persecute. He begins to go and drag people off. And in Paul's own words, you can go look in Acts 22.4 and 26.10, where Paul in his own words talks about how he condoned and even sought for, for Christians to be jailed and murdered. And yet when we go to Acts chapter nine, and we'll probably look at this more next week, we go to Acts chapter nine. And this man, Saul, who becomes Paul, he's riding on the road to Damascus, going with letters to persecute, to imprison more Christians. And he's riding along and he, he gets to this place where this light, it says from heaven, shone around him. And it literally is so bright that it blinds him. And he's there and, and he, can, he can't see, but he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul says this, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now think about this, put yourself in Saul's position. I've done this a lot of times just thinking through this. Put yourself in Saul's position. When the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Who is the one person that Saul does not want to be on the other end of the line? Jesus, right? The one person, the worst person it could possibly be is Jesus. 
because he is destroying Jesus's people. He is destroying Jesus's church. And when he reveals himself to Paul, Paul says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now listen to this. What was the thing that would have gone through Paul's mind? It wasn't, oh, praise God, you're finally here. It was, I'm a dead man. Any of us in that situation, you put yourself in that situation. You've been going and destroying the church, persecuting people who call on the name of Jesus. And you find yourself in that situation. You're not gonna be thinking, oh, it's Jesus, happy day. You're gonna be thinking, oh, it's Jesus, I am dead. And in that moment, in that moment, rather than killing him and giving him death, Paul is given life. And not one of us in this room, listen to me, not one of us in this room would have looked at Paul and said, he is deserving of God's love, right? Don't act like you would have. You act like that turkey on that video. Don't act like you would have been the one that had been like, yes, this is in love. To Paul, Jesus loves you. Nobody would have done that. This man's a murderer. This man's a murderer. And yet we see in this that God's grace is so great that it's able to swoop down and grab hold of Paul that Jesus is willing to reveal himself to Paul to saw this guy who is going around murdering his people. And yet he appears to him. And we go on in, in Acts 9 and he calls, God calls a man by the name of Ananias to go to Saul. And he says, go to a street called Straight. He says, go there and you're gonna find this man named Saul. And Ananias is like, look, I've heard about this guy. I don't wanna go. He's like, no, I'm, I'm gonna have you pray for him that he would receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna show him how much he'll suffer for my name. But listen, Paul never suffered unwillingly for Christ, and let me tell you why. Because when he was blinded by the light of Christ and Jesus was speaking to him right there, he knew that he deserved death and Jesus gave him life and Paul never got over that fact. For some of us today, the issue for us is not that we've never experienced grace. The issue for us is we've forgotten that grace. The issue for some of us, and, and just listen, the issue for some of us is we've kind of gotten in the church thing and we've cleaned ourselves up enough that we kind of feel like God's grace is good, but I've kind of cleaned up enough that it doesn't have to be that amazing. We, we kind of can get like Paul in the church. Maybe not where we're physically murdering people, but where we can clean ourselves up enough that we clean up pretty good, you know, and, and just enough, we do enough, just enough church, just enough Bible study, just enough this, just enough that, so that I feel like I've gotten to this place where I'm good enough. I can look down on people who aren't doing as good as I am. And here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. This might kind of come across kind of hard, I don't know. But here's the thing I want you to understand. You can't clean yourself up enough for God. The only way we can stand in the presence of a holy God and not be evaporated is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because all our sin was placed on him and all God's wrath was placed on him so that those who by faith put their trust in him can become as he is, not like we really are. 
And so here's the thing. Even if you were born with a communion wafer in your mouth, you still would bust the gates of hell wide open apart from Christ. And so for every one of us in here, we maybe, we need to kind of go back and reflect, spend some time even meditating and thinking about the grace of God that has saved us. Maybe it's not so amazing to us anymore. And maybe we need to spend some time realizing how good his grace really is and how much I really need it and how empty I find myself. And maybe the reason I'm empty is because I'm not turning to, I'm not trusting in the one who can fill my heart with the power of his Holy Spirit and satisfy my soul with his presence. Ananias goes and prays for Paul and Paul um, is given the spirit of God, the spirit of God fills Paul. And you're gonna see throughout scripture that the sign that God has accepted people is that he has given them his spirit. Paul, this heinous, evil person, with all of his hate in his heart, in an instant, Jesus changes his heart and fills him with the Holy Spirit and he's never the same again. In fact, it says when Ananias prayed for him that something like scales fell from his eyes and these scales fell from his eyes. And think about this. When he went blind, he saw this light from heaven, this glory of Jesus. But when when the scales fell off, he never saw the world the same way again. And the power of God still works to change hearts and change the way we see Even for us, grace is scandalous. You get to the Samaritans. Now, little background on the Samaritans. You've been around church. You've heard um, how Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. They didn't get along. Well, there's a reason for this. There's a reason the Samaritans didn't like Jews and Jews didn't like Samaritans. See, um, at one point in the kingdom of Israel, there were 12 tribes. And in those 12 tribes, um, 10 of them kind of separated from the south. There were two tribes to the south, 10 tribes to the north. Well, the capital of the northern tribes was Samaria. The capital of the two tribes to the south was Jerusalem. Now, um, somewhere in 600, 700 BC, something like that, Assyrians, the Assyrians come in and they overtake Samaria. And when they overtake Samaria, they take a lot of the people out of Samaria um, back to Assyria. Now, because they took a lot of people out of Samaria to Assyria, they send some Assyrians in to occupy Samaria. Well, guess what? The Jews who were left in Samaria begin to intermarry with the Assyrians. So what ends up happening is you have a person who is half Jewish and you have a person who is half Assyrian. Well, the Jews didn't like that very much. And so even if you go read about the rebuilding of the temple, you will see where the Samaritans want to be a part of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews tell them, no, 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 you have no part with this. Why? Because they see them as um, a hybrid race. They see them as a hybrid religion and they see them not as good as us. So Samaritans from the eyes of Jews were second-class citizens. They were looked down upon. Um, Some Jews to the Samaritans were people that were to be hated because they've excluded us from God's people. And so you see this rift that is existing. This is why it is so amazing that Philip was willing to go and proclaim the gospel to the Samaritans. This is jumping over some serious boundaries and some, some things that existed for centuries. And he goes and he proclaims the gospel and lo and behold, they believe the gospel. But then listen, this is really important, guys. Listen, in verse 14, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, nothing happens 
without a reason, right? At least last night, uh, Reed, my youngest son, and I were hunting, and it's like 6.30, it's dark by this time. We get stuck. I went somewhere I shouldn't have, and, and we got stuck. And when I say stuck, I'm not talking about like spinning on pine straw. I'm talking about stuck, like the bottom of the truck, sitting on mud, and we can't go anywhere. And so I'm like, you won't go, like give up. And so um, I call somebody to come pull us out. Well, I'm not gonna lie, I hit the steering wheel hard. And um, later that night, Reed reminded me of that. We're, we're getting ready to kind of go to bed and, and Reed's like, man, I sure did have fun today. He goes, I don't think dad's on friendly terms with that steering wheel though. So he's like, what do you mean? He hit it pretty hard. I'm like all the good things I did today and this is the one thing you're gonna call me out about. I appreciate that. But we're standing there and I'm a little upset because I got us stuck and I'm really ready to get home. And, and so a couple of buddies are coming to pull us out and we're standing there, I'm kind of fuming, a little, little mad. And Reed goes, dad, and sometimes you gotta understand, talking to Reed is like talking to a 70 year old man sometimes. Like just the way he thinks and reasons things out. And so he's standing there and he's like, dad, I think God meant for this to happen. I'm like, well, please tell me, oh wise sage. And he's like, look at the stars. And I looked up and it was like just millions of stars. And it was beautiful. And that here I am, I'm like fuming and I'm missing all this. And he's like, you know, nothing happens without a reason. Well, Peter and John are going to Samaria for a reason. They didn't just were like, hey, Samaritans, they, they received the gospel. They accepted Jesus. They trusted in him for salvation and, and, and as Lord. And, and so they just were like, you know, let's go check this out. No, they went for a, a reason. And you got to think about this. this is Peter and John. This is Peter, the one Jesus says, you're the rock. And this is John, the one that self-proclaimed was the one whom Jesus loved. Like he didn't read his own right. Like John three sixteen said, Jesus loved the world, right? But John's like, no, I'm the beloved, I'm the one. And so these are the two big guys, right? That they send to go investigate this and go see this. Um, and it says that they went to check this out. And when they got there, they laid their hands on them and prayed for them because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. And it says when they put their hands on them and they prayed for them that they received the Holy Spirit. Now, why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit before when they believed? Why is it that Peter and John had to go? Why wasn't Philip's preaching good enough? I mean, Peter himself had proclaimed in Acts chapter two that if you would repent and believe and be baptized, then you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern we see through most of the, old, of the New Testament is that when you come to faith, you are given the Holy Spirit. It's throughout all the teaching of all the apostles. And yet here we come to this place where these Samaritans had not yet received the Spirit of God. Why would that be? It was for a reason. There was such a rift that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans that God didn't want the Samaritans to come into the church and be some kind of second-class citizen. God wanted these Samaritans to realize that you have been brought fully into this fold of my people. He wanted the Jews to realize, I, through faith in Jesus, have made what you see as second-class citizens. I have brought them into my people and you need to recognize that they're not beneath you, they are equal to you. 
And so they send Peter and John and when they go and they pray for them, they receive the Holy Spirit. Something happens where they recognize they received the Holy Spirit. And if God had given them his spirit because of faith in Jesus, there was no way then that they could look at them and say, you're not equal to us. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was God's sign and seal saying, I have accepted these people. The scandalous grace that goes to even these people who basically had created their own religion. The Jews wouldn't allow them to come and worship with them. So they created their own religion. They built their own temple. They kind of made God into who they wanted him to be. And yet God's grace comes to these people who everybody else looks down on. Um, And here's the thing, church, that we need to recognize and we need to be aware of that so many of the people that get turned away from church, those are people that God loves. So many people that we look at and we think, well, they probably shouldn't be here. Or I even have people, and this is such a thing that the church has built into people's minds that it exists. I have people all the time. They're like, yeah, I come to that church preacher, the building probably gonna fall down. I'm like, you ain't that bad. You are not so bad that God's grace cannot reach you, that his arm of salvation cannot save you. You have not gone so far that God can't pluck you up out of the middle of your sin, out of the, the middle of the, 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 the junk you've created, out of the middle of the mire and the muck of your life, that he can't take you out of that and set you firmly on the foundation of Jesus, clean you up with the blood of Christ from his sacrifice and set you on a path that's very different from the one you've ever been on. He can do this with Paul. He can do this with the Samaritans. He can do this with us. You go on then down to this eunuch, this man who'd been castrated. He's achieved this high status. He's riding along and he's in this carriage and the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and he says, go and and stay beside that carriage where this man's riding along. And I can just kind of imagine like Philip running, trying to keep up. We'd have had to make that quick if it were me. Oh, amen. Hey, you stop this thing. I gotta tell you something. And so we, we, we see him going and he's being obedient to go and share this gospel. But this is a man who, listen, as a eunuch, um, there's a passage in Deuteronomy. I believe it's chapter 21. Don't hold me to that. But there's a passage in Deuteronomy that tells us that a, a eunuch, someone who was a eunuch could not be brought fully into this assembly of God's people. When he went to the temple, he's coming back from Jerusalem. He'd gone to worship. But when he went to the temple, because of his condition, he was not allowed to go in all the way into the temple. He was seen as you know, unworthy of being able to go fully with God's people. They had to keep him at arm's length. They had to keep him away. He wasn't good enough to be one of them fully. And this Egyptian who was a God-fearer or a proselyte had some way come to believe in the God of Judaism. He can never be fully embraced. And here's the crazy thing about this, guys, is that as he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah is the only book in the Old Testament that has a promise of blessing for the eunuch. And I don't think it's coincidence, speaking of all things happen for a reason, I don't think that it's coincidence that this um, Egyptian eunuch is holding the scroll of Isaiah and that's the one that he's reading. 
And as he's reading out of Isaiah 53, uh, Philip comes up and he's able to explain to him the gospel. And as he explains it, they come to water and Philip's and the Egyptian says, hey, here's some water. What's keeping me from being baptized? In other words, I believed, I put my trust in this man, Jesus, who you've explained to me. Now let's, let's do this. I wanna be baptized. And when we look at this, this grace that would be so scandalous to so many people of that day has come to this man. And here's what's amazing about this, guys, is that this eunuch could not go into the temple of God, but as Philip is sharing the good news of Jesus with this eunuch, he finds out that through Jesus, you are going to become the temple of God. And men may be able to say that you can't come in, but listen, by faith in Christ, no one can stop the Holy Spirit from living in you. No one can stop the Holy Spirit from dwelling in you. No one can stop the Holy Spirit from giving you a new heart. No one can stop God's grace from changing you from the inside out. And this eunuch realizes, listen, I may not be able to go into this building where they say God's presence resides, but God's presence now can live in me. How much good news is that? How much good news is that for this eunuch, for us, that things that are dirty and even evil like Paul, that people groups who are ostracized and set apart and are told they have no part of God's people, that God still brings them in. How incredible is it that this man who, so different, so different, God says, I'm gonna bring you in. I'm gonna make you one of mine because God's grace is indeed scandalous. And so Paul had achieved this religious status. The Samaritans had found this guy that was great in the eyes of man and he even claimed to be someone divine. In, in Simon, they began to follow him. So they, they found this, they've created their own religion, even left that religion now to start following Simon. The eunuch, he's kind of achieved status even though the condition he lived in and yet all of them still empty. All of them still come to this place of realizing they need something greater. Paul even goes on in Philippians 3 and he says, you know, all this stuff I achieved religiously on my own, he says, I consider it all garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus. The challenge I would issue to you today is do you know Jesus? Do you know him? I'm not talking about, do you know about him? I'm not talking about that. And, and y'all look, look at me. I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you, are you a good person? I'm not asking you, do you know the 12 disciples? I'm not asking you how many books of the Bible you can quote. I'm not asking you how many times you've taken communion. I'm not asking you, do you lead Bible studies? What I'm asking you is, do you know Jesus? What I'm asking you is this, have you ever come to the realization that God's love that he's shown us in Christ and the grace that he offers us in Christ, his willingness to do for us, in us and through us, what we cannot do for ourselves, have you come to a place of realizing that that's for you, not the person next to you? 
Have you come to a place of accepting that? Have you experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced what it feels like when the weight of the world, the sin of, of your life has been lifted off of your shoulders and you feel the freedom of knowing that God has set me free? Have you experienced that? Because let me tell you this, it's real. Let me tell you this, the grace of God is real. Let me tell you this, the grace of God still sets people free. Understand this, the truth of the gospel is still powerful to change lives and change hearts. There are people in here right now who you feel like where I have been and what I have done has disqualified me from being a part of the kingdom of God. And this is what I tell you, that's a lie. If the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and there's something in you that desires God, then God is extending his hand through Christ, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, asking you, will you take my hand? Will you let me pull you up to where I am? Because you can spend all of your life trying to climb your way to him and you're never gonna get there. And here's the thing, we can come in and we can go out and we can come in and we can go out. And the thing that frustrates me the most sometimes is we do it so flippantly, like all of us, we do it so flippantly that we don't realize how serious this really is. We don't realize how eternal this really is. We just come in and sing some songs and hear a message and hope he doesn't go long. And then we just kind of get out and try to get to the restaurant and try to get in line. And we try to do this and we try to do that. And we go about our week and uh, Monday, we've kind of forgotten about God. But then on Saturday, oh crap, we got to go tomorrow. And so we kind of get ready to do that again. And we don't realize how important this is. We don't realize the gospel. We don't realize how, what an awesome opportunity God has given us to know him. And so we just go through our busy, hectic days. And I know this, we go through our busy, hectic days, our busy, hectic lives, and we just go and go and go and go and go and we forget how amazing his grace is or we've never recognized it. And there are people here today that I'm praying as you hear my voice, the Holy Spirit is cracking a shell on your heart and he's dropping the scales from your eyes and he's showing you and revealing to you the person of Christ. And he's working in your heart to draw you to himself, to draw you in, to begin to change you, to begin to, to show you the love that he has for you that is so transforming. that he would call you, that we would become like Paul, that we never get over the grace of God. I'll tell you this, and this is the last thing I'm gonna say. I'm gonna read one scripture after this, my bad. Last thing I'm gonna tell you. Before I was saved, I got saved on April 1st of 2000. I was 24 years old. Before I got saved, there was nothing that made me really interested in God. I'd been through some seasons in my life where bad things happen or things might, bad might happen. And, and I kind of go, oh God, you know, the bartering thing. God, if you will, I will. I've been through some other seasons and those didn't last, right? I'd been through the times where, you know, I'd get fearful about something and I'd kind of be afraid. And so I'd be like, oh God, I need you. Well, you know what? That didn't last either. Like if fear of God, I'm just fearing him from a standpoint if he's going to do something bad to me. Like that never really worked for me. It never um, really wanted me to pursue him, to know him. It never really made me um, live for him very long. 
But the day that I realized as far as I had tried to get from God, as much as I had blasphemed his name, as much as I'd made fun of people who, who, who were pursuing God, as much as I went to Bible studies even to just mess them up and wreck them and just ask stupid hard questions nobody can answer. The day that I realized that that God that I had been persecuting in a way similar to Paul, he still loved me, that broke me. It changed me. It was different. I couldn't help it. I can remember the day I got saved. I can remember that night standing under a street light talking to some people. And I told them, I said, I'll never be the same again. They were like, ah. Yeah, you will. I give it four months, six months. I said, no, I will never be the same again. Oh yeah, you will, yeah, you will. And I look back to that night and guys, there's been some times that in the last 20 years, almost 21, I've had to fight like crazy to keep pursuing God. There's been things that made me want to divert to the right and to the left to take my eyes off of him. But the thing I can't get over is the fact that when I did not want him, I did not desire him, he still loved me. And that's why I do what I do. Because I want you to know the same thing. If I had my choice, people, this would not be, I wouldn't stand up here every Sunday in my own. I don't, I don't like public speaking, but there's something inside of me because of what God did in me and for me that I can't help but tell you. And I want you to get this. I want you to know this. And sometimes I sit in my office and I get so frustrated because I can't get it out to you. And I realize the Holy Spirit has to do this. And so I pray, but I'm like, God, would you please reveal this? Would you please just show them? Would you open their eyes? Would the scales fall from their eyes so they could see? God, would you open my eyes to see it more clearly? Don't let my heart get calloused. And I want this for you guys. I want you to listen to this last scripture. I want you to hear this last scripture, Ephesians chapter three. This is Paul, this is Saul, who got saved on the road to Damascus. Changed his name, I don't know why he changed his name, but he changed his name to Paul. And this is him writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is his prayer for them. And this is my prayer for us today. That for this reason, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Listen to this, to grasp how wide 
and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, I pray, I pray that that would be true for us. That through your spirit, Lord, we would see the height and length and depth of your love, the power of your grace. Lord, that we wouldn't forget it's amazing. God, just pour out more of your, open our eyes, God, to see. Open our eyes, God, to see. I want to ask you if you would to stand. And we're going to sing this song. And as you sing it, let it be a prayer that God would open our eyes to see the greater depths of his love that it would compel us to pursue him, compel us to draw close to him, compel us towards his purposes in our life.